Welcome to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. Chris is off for the night. He'll be back tomorrow. But for now, I am joined by attorney Shannon Liss Reardon. Shannon, how are you? Why? Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, thanks for coming in. Uh, so um, before we get started, uh, if you'd like to just introduce yourself to the audience and uh, talk about why you're running for attorney general. Uh, sure. Thank you so much. My name is Shannon Liss Reardon. I have spent more than 23 years fighting some of the most powerful interests in our country. I've been a labor lawyer for more than 23 years, representing working people of all types. I've taken on some of the largest corporations in America and won companies like FedEx and Starbucks and Amazon. And um, I am looking forward to using my experience and my skills in the courtroom to be the next people's lawyer. I'm looking forward to it. So uh, it's, a, I think, a, a pretty competitive primary. What do you think distinguishes you from the other candidates in the field? Um, the, the difference that sets me apart is my experience. I am far and away the most qualified candidate for this race. Um, I am the only candidate in this race who is an actual practicing lawyer. I'm the only one who has run a law firm. Um, I've spent more than 20 years um, winning the big battles. I've gotten hundreds of millions of dollars back in the pockets of working people. I'm proud and honored to have the support of the Mass AFL-CIO and more than 50 individual labor unions who represent more than a half a million working people across the state. We're speaking with uh, Shannon Liss Reardon, a candidate for attorney general. So you've actually, speaking of, of money, put a great deal of personal resources into this race. Um, why did you think it was so important to do that? Well, I've been really excited about the support that our campaign has gotten as I've been going across Massachusetts and just getting the word out about my experience, what I have accomplished, what my vision is for the office. People are jumping on board. People know that this is a really important office where um, you know, this is this is leading the people's law firm, that we need a seasoned, experienced lawyer who knows how to take on corporate bad actors, who knows how to get around bad Supreme Court decisions, which I've been doing for the last 20 years. And so we're just getting the message out there and the message is resonating. How have you been getting around bad Supreme Court decisions? Well, I, I could tell you stories of, for what I've been doing for the last 20 years. But um, one example is early on in my legal career, I was fighting disability discrimination in a number of cases. And the U.S. Supreme Court issued this terrible ruling, making it really hard to bring a disability discrimination claim. So I went to our Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court and I asked them to disagree with the U.S. Supreme Court, and they did, um, broadening the rights of Massachusetts people to um, to combat discrimination. Then, you know, a few years later, Congress agreed with the Massachusetts Supreme Court, not the U.S. Supreme Court, and made that the law of the land. So I have other examples I can tell, but that's the type of creative legal thinking that I've used. I know how to use the court system. I've won the jury trials. I've won the appeals to help shape our laws to better and more fairly serve the people. So what do you think the primary role of the uh, attorney general is? I think people often envision a more like prosecutorial role, but that's uh, basically a neg negligible part of the attorney general's office. What do you think the attorney general is supposed to do? The attorney general is the people's lawyer. The attorney general fights for the people of Massachusetts. That's what I will be doing, protecting workers, protecting consumers, protecting our our rights, reproductive rights, access to health care, 
fighting environmental polluters so that we can make progress on our on our battle against climate change. I plan to be a leading attorney general across the country, coordinating with attorneys general um, in other states to make sure that our rights are protected here in Massachusetts. So uh, outgoing Attorney General Maura Healy uh, is running for governor. Uh, what's your um, assessment on her job performance as Attorney General? What would you might what might you do different than her? Mara Healy's been a terrific attorney general, and I'm honored and excited about the possibility of following in her footsteps and carrying on and expanding the great work that she's done. Um, I think there's so much power in this office to continue doing the fights that I've been doing as a private attorney general for decades, making sure that employees get wages back in their pockets that have been stolen from them by their employers. I plan to set up a fund so that workers who haven't been paid properly can get paid right away while the AG's office goes after those bad actor employers. Um, similarly, I plan to set up um, a green bank so that we can take penalties we recover from environmental polluters and use that money to fund clean energy projects and environmental justice projects. We're speaking with uh, Attorney Shannon Liss Reardon, a candidate for Attorney General. So, um, how we're here in New Bedford in the South Coast. Uh, how do you plan? Uh, what plans do you have for Attorney General to bring more um, justice and opportunity for the uh, people of the South Coast? So the attorney general's office needs to be accessible to all of the people across Massachusetts. If you have a, a workplace concern, if you have a consumer concern, you're being scammed or taken advantage of by a company, you need to be able to go to the attorney general's office, have someone on the other end of the line or someone in that office who you can bring the complaint to. We will investigate. We will take on those issues and, and, and bring charges. So... Uh, the, the main office of the AG's office is in Boston, but there are important outposts. There's one here in New Bedford, they're in Springfield and Worcester. I would definitely maintain these outposts, make sure they are well-staffed so that they are accessible and available to the people of Massachusetts who need them. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd look into whether we need to have some, some more outposts so that the office is accessible to everyone. What do you think the biggest um, inequities people are facing and how can the uh, inequities with respect to um, access to justice and how can the attorney general's office um, uh, ameliorate that? So the reason that I went to law school was because I wanted to try to even the playing field between the powerful and the more vulnerable who have not had their voices heard and have not had equal access to justice. So that is why I'm looking forward to being Massachusetts next attorney general is making sure that we are putting the power of that office, the hundreds of assistant attorney generals who work there um, to work fighting for, for workers for consumers, for all of us. And um, I, I know how to lead teams of lawyers. I've been doing it for decades. I've made national headlines taking on these these huge David and Goliath battles and winning. Um, and I look forward to working with the attorneys in that office to make sure that we're, that we're doing everything we can to fight for people of Massachusetts and win. That's what I've done in court for years. So uh, I'm, you know, just been reading your, um, your platform on your website. Uh, one of the things I thought was interesting is um, you want to expand access to um, expungement and offer some type of uh, compensation for people who have been convicted for marijuana offenses now that it's legal. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, you know, the this country's war on drugs was a massive failure. And now marijuana is legal here in Massachusetts. And it's unacceptable that there are people who have served time. There are people who have had their records marred based on convictions for behavior that is now perfectly legal in Massachusetts. So I support 
<clears throat> expunging records for marijuana violations and other um, um, low-level drug offenses of possession. And I think that people deserve compensation when they're um, when they're privileges and have been intruded upon. I, I've been talking with the ACLU for years about the problems stemming from the drug lab scandals that we've had in, in Massachusetts. Yes. Um, so many people have spent time in jail. They've had their records marred. It's affecting their ability to get jobs and access to education and even housing. Um, they deserve compensation. Um, and as attorney general, I will work and fight to make sure that people are fairly compensated when, they're, when their rights are taken away that way. Yeah, the uh, the Farrakh Dukin cases, uh, you know, um, I, the, when I was working as a, a court appointed attorney, um, even years after um, it's happened, there's still cases that come uh, come around uh, people that were have been impacted by these two um, negligent and sometimes nefarious uh, lab technicians. So that is that is very important. Yeah, and I feel like that case also just um, is emblematic of an important point that I've been making on the campaign trail, and that is that I know I know from my my decades as a civil rights lawyer, um, the state is not always on the right side of the issues. Mm. You know, there are times that the state <laughs> has correct. not done the right thing. And as attorney general, I will not let taxpayer dollars be used to defend um, the wrong side of the issue. So if there are times when we're not able to resolve issues, when the state or its agencies are, um, are, are challenged, I can appoint a special attorney general to to represent the state or its agencies. I can take the job. I can take the side of the plaintiffs, and I'll do that when I think that's necessary and in the interests of the people. So you'd be appointing a special attorney general, and you'd be, um, I guess, in a like combating with the special attorney general in these matters. Um, yes, I, I would. I would have the ability to do that. Because I, I mean, I know of times I've gone up against the AG's office in the state, and I've won. Um, you know, so I think it's really important that that our resources be put on the right side of the issues. Um, of course, my job as attorney general would be to defend the state and its agencies, and that means keeping them out of trouble, making sure that they're following our laws fairly, and and I would aggressively um, pursue you know private actors as well as public actors who are not following our laws. Have you gone up against Maura Healy? Um, um, actually, I have. Yes. Um, I mean, most recently, um, a case that got a lot of attention was I've been on the forefront of the battle against the gig economy, which yeah. has been trying to, they tried to come into Massachusetts and buy themselves an exception from all of our labor and employment laws. And I, I co-founded a coalition of workers advocates, consumer advocates, and civil rights advocates to oppose that. Um, they were trying to put a ballot initiative on the ballot this November, which have would, would carved them out of all labor and employment laws. Um, um, Mar Healy's office certified that ballot initiative to go on the ballot, and I was on the legal team that challenged that, and we were successful, and at, we got the SJC to knock it off the ballot, so I'm very the, proud the, of that. The Uber and Lyft uh, thing where they, they were trying to basically make themselves make drivers permanent independent contractors. Correct. Okay. Yes, a battle I've been fighting for years. So we're speaking with Shannon Liss Reardon, uh, labor attorney and candidate for attorney general. So I think the biggest, one of the most pressing issues facing uh, gateway cities like New Bedford and communities across the Commonwealth is um, uh, the lack of access to housing. Um, how can, as attorney general, you uh, work uh, to provide greater access to housing for individuals? Uh, yeah, that 
that is an issue that we're hearing about everywhere. Um, yeah. Cost of housing is just skyrocketing along with the price of everything. And it's just be getting harder and harder for folks to get by, families to pay for their basic expenses. And, and housing is a human right. We need to make sure that it's affordable and accessible for folks. One thing that I have done, and it's, it's on my website, we have a consumer protection um, plan that's up there folks can take a look at. But I plan to set up an office of the tenant advocate as part of the AG's office to help keep people in their homes, to provide resources and representation to tenants. In our housing courts now, you go in and the, the landlords all have representation, but the tenants don't. Um, and, and so the housing courts act like eviction mills. I want to make sure that there's that there is fair representation for tenants. They have access to resources to help keep them in their homes. Um, and um, that, that we're mediating disputes between tenants and landlords to make sure that, that people can stay in their homes. We're speaking with Sharon Ellis Reardon, a candidate for attorney general, a labor attorney. So uh, you talked about your consumer protection plan. Uh, consumer protection, of course, is one of the major um, major functions of the of the AG's office. Uh, you know, we have to you have to protect people from, uh, you know, you can use 93A claims to go after unscrupulous tenants or um, or businesses. What what do you think that uh, besides tenants, what do you think people consumers need to be protected from the most? Well, unfortunately, there are all kinds of bad actors out there who are trying to scam people, scam them online, scam our seniors who are you know often yes. isolated and you know will pick up the phone and then they get taken advantage of. You know, those are the types of issues, that, the bread and butter issues of the AG's office is to protect the people from these bad actors. And it, one of the decisions the U.S. Supreme Court came out with this year, which, or well, actually it's been over the last decade, um, has, it particularly concerns the AG's office because it's made, the court has made it much harder for private individuals to go into court to challenge um, consumer fraud and um failure to pay wages and other employment violations um, through enforcing arbitration clauses, which sets up a private court as an alternative to right. real court. Um, so that puts a lot of responsibility on state attorneys general to take on these bad actors because as attorney general, I wouldn't be uh, limited by arbitration clauses like private lawyers are these days. So Moore Healy recently joined a multi-state lawsuit to sue Florida over um, the don't say gay law. I'm curious as to what your position on the standing for that is. Um, well, I'm not versed in the in the specifics of that case. I mean, okay. I will say that, you know, there are important issues that the AG's office can be addressing on the national level. There's a lot of focus that really needs to be spent here in Massachusetts to make sure that our rights are protected here and the people here are protected. I plan to be a leader among attorneys general across the country to take on big issues where it's important for states to get together um, and use their power to enforce our rights. But there's, there's a lot that needs to be focused on right here in Massachusetts. We're speaking with Chandler Reardon, uh, candidate for attorney general. Um, so, you know, we talked about the Supreme Court. The Dobbs case uh, was mentioned or alluded to at least um, uh, earlier. Uh, how as attorney general can you protect um, reproductive rights? They're fairly well protected here in the Commonwealth, but how can you protect maybe out-of-state uh, residents that um, may want to come here to uh, exercise reproductive freedom? Uh, yeah, what, what the Supreme Court did this spring was absolutely devastating. I've been a women's rights activist since my college days. When I was in law school, I worked at the Center for Reproductive Law and Policy um, defending um, abortion 
services and protections across um, the country. And so we are fortunate in Massachusetts to have passed the Roe Act. So we do have the basic protection to abortion here in Massachusetts. It, there's more that needs to be done. The legislature has taken some measures now to get more on the books to protect uh, patients and providers here in Massachusetts. And what I know from my legal career is that getting the right laws on the books is just the first step. Laws don't enforce themselves. We need a seasoned, experienced litigator leading the AG's office who knows how to aggressively enforce them. As attorney general, I will make sure that those red states who are going to try to impose their bans on abortion here in Massachusetts are not able to do that. I will enforce our laws to make sure that uh People throughout Massachusetts who need abortions are going to have access to them. And people who come here from other states are able to do that, too. And other states are not going to be able to stop them from doing that. We're speaking with Janice uh, Liss Reardon, candidate for uh, attorney general. So um, you uh, you were talking a little bit about uh you classified yourself as a, a, a private attorney general. Um, can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, well, that, that is what the, that is how I have viewed the work that I've done. I've been a private attorney general enforcing our wage laws, our misclassification laws, protecting workers. I've done civil rights work, um, taking on systemic discrimination. Um, for instance, I had a case against the state challenging the state civil service exam, which has been used to keep out um, minorities from police departments and fire departments. And based on that work, um, we got uh, more than 50 black and brown firefighters and police officers hired across Massachusetts. So I've been taking on cases for more than 20 years and case by case winning in the courts and fighting in the courts to advance the interests of the people. So I see the job as attorney general as a continuation and expansion of the work that I've been doing for more than two decades. We're speaking with Chandler Reardon, a candidate for attorney general. You said you took on Amazon and you were successful. Can you talk about that case a little bit? Yeah, so I have, um, I have a couple cases against Amazon that are ongoing now, actually, on behalf of their delivery drivers, um, who Amazon classifies as independent contractors. Um, many companies, unfortunately, have been doing this in order to shift all of the burdens and expenses of running a business onto their workers. So these Amazon Flex delivery drivers who are delivering packages to people's homes, they're paying for their own vehicles. Whereas if they're classified as employees, they would need to have those expenses reimbursed and they would have basic protections under the wage laws. So I had mentioned before a little bit how the Supreme Court has been using arbitration as a way to keep wage claims out of court. Um, I scored a huge victory against Amazon in getting the court not to agree to enforce Amazon's arbitration agreement. It went up to the U.S. Supreme Court, which declined to interfere with those victories that I got at two federal appeals courts um, and for a case we have for Massachusetts Amazon drivers, as well as a nationwide case. So that was a huge victory. I'm very excited about it. Sheena Liz Reardon, uh, candidate for attorney general. I um, appreciate the, the work you've done for working people uh, of the Commonwealth. And um, where can people go to learn more about your campaign? So our website is Shannon4AG.com. That's Shannon, F-O-R-A-G.com. Um, would love it if your listeners would take a look, um, get involved with the campaign. We're in the crucial final weeks before the September 6th primary. Um, very excited about all the support that we're getting, the momentum that we're building. Would love people to take a look and, and, and get on board and join us. And please vote on, on or before September 6th. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me.
Hey, welcome back to South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. Chris will be back tomorrow. Uh, and we'll have Chris Hendrickson uh, talk about the dangerousness bill. Uh, that was attorney Shannon Liss Reardon. She is uh, a candidate on the Democratic primary for attorney general. Obviously, from you know listening, you can tell she's a uh, remarkably accomplished labor attorney. I thought that was a great interview. Um, I thought that was a great interview and uh, just impressed by the breadth of her of her accomplishments in terms of you know, securing victories for working people in the Commonwealth. And I do like, because she's the only candidate, I think, without, as far as I know, um, without uh, any public, like, you know, working governmental experience, she has uh, she has um, presented herself as a private attorney general. I like that. I think that's pretty good. Um, and I think, actually, the work of the attorney general... A lot of it is consumer protection. I think Maura Healy's done a really good job of that. Um, but uh, a lot of it is consumer protection, and that I think is the you know the foundation of a lot of her um, big cases. So that was really good. Uh, if you if you missed it, the podcast will be out later tonight. You can check it out. Um, of course, there'll be a column up uh, sometime at wbsm.com probably in the next few days. Uh, that was Shannon Liss Reardon, candidate for attorney general. Uh, you've got. Uh, it's 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 a tight race, so you make sure you gotta get you gotta get out there and vote for for your candidate. But uh, I appreciate when they come in here and want to talk uh, to the audience and communicate their message. So five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred is how you can get on the program. So that primary, that all primaries are going to be on September 6th. That's She's uh, Shannon Liss Reardon. There's uh, Andrea Campbell, Boston City Councilor, former Boston City Councilor, and Quentin Palfrey, who used to work for um, uh, Martha Coakley and for the Obama White House. So very competitive primary. But again, I really enjoyed that interview uh, with, uh, with Attorney Liss Reardon. So um, we were, I mean, we spent most of the time talking about the um, the Mar-a-Lago raid, right? The uh, the Mar-a-Lago raid and some, you know, got into some stuff about uh, criminal procedure and Supreme Court jurisprudence. But uh, I wanted to talk to Brad Markey, New Bedford City Councilor. He was supposed to call in an hour ago. It's not his fault, though. Uh, that meeting, as far as I know, is still going on. It's incredible. I, I mean, just truly, truly incredible uh, that that meeting's still going on about a $11 million capital loan. I mean, it's an $11 million capital improvement plan loan. It is so non-controversial and innocuous to approve that. It is truly remarkable that it is taking this long. It's truly, truly remarkable that it's taking this long, that people are still pontificating about it, honestly. <laughs> and actually, Brad Markey's going to call in now at, uh, at 508-996-0500. Oh, well, he's going to call in the VIP line, I hope. But Brad Markey's going to call in now and recap that meeting. So we'll, we'll, we'll wait for his call. Um, the chair of the finance committee, uh, I commend him for enduring the, um, I don't know, 
onslaught of probably absurdities that he got during that meeting. Because, uh, you know, he, he was on a couple weeks ago. And again, we talked about how benign a capital improvement plan loan was and how non-controversial it should have been for it to pass. And the mayor talked about it, too. Uh, I hope it passed. I don't know. I'm waiting. Uh, I'm waiting on him to call. So, but I'll take your calls for now at 508-996-0500. And just to recap, if you weren't familiar with the story, we had Mayor Mitchell on yesterday. He talked about it for a bit. But there's a capital improvement loan. It was a, a, about eleven million dollars. Uh, it's to it's. Um, it's a loan to do improvements on public infrastructure and public assets. So uh, in that capital improvement loan was more tasers for police, uh, more equipment for the fire department, uh, improvements to municipal buildings and um, uh, improvements to municipal buildings, uh, upgrades to Buttonwood Park bathrooms to make them ADA accessible. Uh, and um, capital improvement loans are regulated in a way which... You, you know, you can't, it's hard to overextend yourself. And, you know, some counselors I know were bringing up a concern that maybe they were borrowing too much money, but uh, Mayor Mitchell had said, you know, before that position doesn't uh, jive with reality. Uh, he said, um, uh, because actually, and actually right now, based on Wall Street creditors uh, or Wall Street rating agencies, they've said New Bedford borrows well below the national average for a lot of municipalities. So, uh, they're in a pretty good spot. But we're joined now by Brad Markey. Hey, Councilor Markey. Hey, Marcus. How you doing? Good. So um, did it pass or did it not pass, the CIP? Well, it got it got reduced. So the CIP is going to uh, refer to city council. Then from there, it has to go to the second reading. But it got reduced by, I think it was around $900,000. What got removed? Um, actually, what it was was the uh, Pleasant Street, the, uh, the, the police station downtown. Okay. Yeah, so that was the renovations. They were going to renovate it because what they wanted to do was, you know, put some, uh, use it for offices, put some d different departments in down there. Uh, but, but how that works out, they just re reduced it by 900. They went ahead with the Pleasant Street, and what, what we did is we told the, um, telling the mayor that that's what we want to reduce it. So that should play out that way. Okay. So that was the only one, ev everything else. But, but like, Why? Why was it Why reduced? Why did it get reduced? Yes. Well, a few councils that didn't think it was worth rehabbing. Um, you know, some said maybe we just put it on the market and sell it. Um, so, but that was that was it when it got voted against. Um, I, I forgot now the final tally, but um, it, it was because they just didn't feel it was a worthwhile project. They thought maybe maybe put it up for sale. So that's did, that's why that one. Did you think it was a worthwhile that. project? I, I did because um, it was nine hundred thousand to renovate it. Because what they were looking to do was putting a few different departments in there. Yeah, you know, moving them from one area to the other. So it would all be for the city. Um, it, you know, and what one one uh, project they were looking at, whether it'll go in there or not, is is for the uh, permitting, like fast track permitting. If you want to go for a building permit or something like that, you would be able to go in there and get it all done under you know one roof. So that was one thought, but there were some other departments they were looking to move out of areas and kind of give them a little bit more space. So um, for nine hundred thousand, you know, I thought it was worthwhile. So nine hundred uh, thousand on an eleven million dollar loan, 
uh, seems to me like a negligible amount and that reducing that expend reducing that expenditure does little to nothing uh, in terms of you know you guys having your ability to pay back the loan right right yeah yeah okay no it, it, it yeah it, <laughs> would, it wouldn't there and, and how it started it started at higher amounts and they kind of kept knocking it down so okay. that was the last actually the last number the last vote and that one did pass. Okay, why do you think the uh, meeting uh, took so long? Well, there was a, a lot of questions um, there, and basically we did go through, if you looked at all the items that were on the CIP, basically went one by one by one. So basically covered all of them. So that's basically why it went, and of course a lot of questions. So. Speaking with uh, Ward 1 uh, City Council, Brad Markey, Chair of the Finance Committee, um, but this had already, so this had already went through your committee once, and that would have been the opportunity Correct. if the counselors had questions to ask questions. Uh, and Correct. then it went to the full council vote and the council decided they had more questions that they hadn't asked in the last meeting and then kicked it mm -hmm. back. Is that correct? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Cause, cause basically there was a few councils who weren't at the, the first meeting. Okay. So well. they wanted the opportunity. So that's how it got, the, the last meeting got sent so back. Yeah. Because they didn't show up to the meeting. They use that as a uh, a justification for pushing the capital improvement loan back to the city council uh, finance committee. And correct me if I'm mistaken. Since then, the interest rates have gone up, so you're actually borrowing at a higher rate. They have. I think they went up three quarters of a point. But basically, when that went up, and I'm not big on how that all works, but they went up. I think last week. So. Theoretically, it may not have affected us too badly as far as our borrowing because it, it might have gone up because this whole thing has to go through a second reading. So really, this wouldn't be able to, uh, you know, get get put through for another month anyway because of the uh, because of the loan order and what what the process it has to go through. So, Brad, so, it's when is it going before the full council? Well, we got a meeting ne next week, and that's why I put the finance meeting tonight. To make sure it was there so what it'll do now it'll go to the full council we have a meeting next thursday and then from there it'll get you know sent to the second reading um and, and then you've got this it's got to have a it has to be advertised it has to go out so what we're under on this is like almost we we could get it through the meetings okay it's just that the time you have to advertise it in the paper how fast the paper gets it in it's so it's another couple. It's another couple months that pushing this, kicking it back to committee, um, playing ping pong with these this back to committee, delayed it at least another two three months. Seems no, you know it won't it won't take. I I think what'll happen is, I this is my thoughts anyway. We're trying to push it. To, you know we have the uh, the, the next uh, council meeting in September. I think on the eighth. If that if it doesn't make there, then it should be be okay for the uh, the one right after that. So I'm saying we're trying to push it for the first meeting in September. But okay. if, if the time isn't with us, it'll be the second meeting. In but it, this already would have been approved now if it hadn't been kicked the last time. It would have been, but it would still have to go to. So, yes, it would. But it would still have to go to another uh, council meeting. So I'm trying to think now the numbers when it was. So it may have been able to do it the end of this, this one coming up. Um, but it still have to get, again, push forward. So I think September, either way, was probably going to be the earliest it was going to be. Okay. Uh, 
Uh, well, you know, I know, so. I know you were because I talked to you the week, uh, the the night of the first approval in the finance committee mm-hmm. of the capital improvement loan. So I know you were in favor of pushing it forward and not necessarily kicking it back. Uh, um, mm-hmm. And so uh, I know all of this um, hoopla uh, wasn't uh, wasn't your fault. And uh, appreciate you calling in, Brad. Appreciate you giving us an update sure. on that. I'm glad the uh, and I'm sure a lot of p- other people are glad that the CIP yep. was improved and um, I'll look forward to talking with you more in the future. Sounds great. Thanks a lot, Marcus. Thanks, Brad. Thanks. That was Brad Markey, Ward 1 City Councilor and Chair of the Finance Committee. Uh, and um, hats off to him for running what was probably a very gru- unnecessarily grueling meeting. 508-996-0500. Good evening. Hello again. Hey, what's up, man? Uh, not much. Back to the uh, Trump thing. Sure. Um, yeah, he, he. I mean, the people that are worried about him going to prison, it's very unlikely he's going to go to prison. No, no, I doubt. I don't it. think they even got anything big on him. If they did, I think I told you the other night, Trump's a clever character. Yeah, he got rid of it before they got to it. Yeah, I mean, it. It very. I don't know. It. It depends. I mean, I guess that's why they wanted a no knock. He could have, right? But it he, very. They tip them off. They say they don't tip them off. Somebody tips him off before they get there. That could have happened. Any president, any president would get tipped off by somebody before it happens. I mean, his Secret Service agents, right? They they knew about the investigation and let the FBI agents in. So, I mean, it could have happened. Uh, I mean, I'm not accusing anybody of a federal crime. I mean, hey, that's that's a federal crime in and of itself. So, um, you know, uh, I'm not necessarily saying a Secret Service agents did anything, but uh, he could have, you know, he was the president. So he might may have some contacts in the federal government that are more sympathetic to him uh, than maybe Merrick Garland is. He also knows a lot of people. Well, that's what I'm saying. There could be that's what I'm saying. It could be he could have some contacts in the federal government or someone who has contacts in the federal government that are more sympathetic to Trump's position than Merrick Garland is. That could be true. Yeah, Trump not only has Secret Service agents, he also has bodyguards. So he's got both Secret Service, which are probably by far more dangerous than the bodyguards, but he also has his bodyguards that have been loyal to him all these years, even before he was president. Yeah. So, and I also believe Trump's um, license to carry a handgun. I believe he carries a little thirty-eight Snundos. Uh, yeah, he might. I don't know. I I've, I haven't heard about that until just now. So I wouldn't be surprised, but um, yeah, I don't think he's going to go to jail. But I think too many people are obsessed with the guy, and they need to calm down. It's getting <laughs> ridiculous. I think that I, mean, I, I actually I agree, but I also think that cuts both ways. <laughs> Honestly, I think too many people also freak out. Um, about him too, so I agree with you. Yeah, I think yeah. a lot of people don't like him either. They act, everybody acts like he's he's well loved and stuff. A lot of people don't don't like him. It's just this. Well, he never got the majority. I mean, he never got the majority of the people, the popular vote, right? So most people didn't. He got uh, re- so they claim. But I don't know. I don't know if elections are rigged or not. I think they are sometimes. To be honest with you, I, I mean, we know elect- we we know that there's situations. We're pretty sure that there's situations in which presidential elections were rigged. Right? There was the um, yeah. yeah, there was the Rutherford B. B. Hayes and Samuel Tilden uh, massacre. 
uh, God, how many years ago? Uh, a couple hundred years ago, there was uh, the 2000 election, uh, the 1960 yeah, Gore, election. Gore W. Gore W. Yeah, Gore W. That was, I mean, that was cheating right up, right like in everyone's face. Um, Everybody's going to say no, but the Clinton um, Trump election was a little fishy. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't like Hillary anyway. I, I didn't vote in that election. That's what I mean. I'm not a, lot a of huge people didn't. Trump. <laughs> I'm not a huge Trump fan, but at the same time, I would rather him be in there than Joe Biden. I cannot stomach Joe Biden. I don't know what's wrong with that man, but he's not fit to be president. On the other hand, you get Trump back in office, he's going to pull his shenanigans again. Once he pulls something really bad, if he pulls something really bad, all of a sudden everybody's going to be like, why did we let this guy back in office? Yeah. 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 We shoot ourselves in the foot all the time. <laughs> all right, I'm going to let you know one more thing. I'm going to drop that thing off for you with that uh, Marine man that said you want to do a radio show? Yeah, yeah, drop it off whenever. I mean, I might not be here, but I'll get it. Yeah, well, when you talk to him, you have to um, you have to ask him things like how different is Real Marine Corps boot camp than, say, Full Metal Jacket? How <laughs> is the Marine Corps different from the Vietnam era to now? You know, stuff like that. I'm sure you can come up with stuff to ask him. Yeah, absolutely. Right. You have a good night, sir. You as well. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. 508-996-0500. And I take a break. I will be back. This is South Coast Tonight. I'm Marcus. Chris is off for the night. New Bedford's News Talk. Hey, welcome back. I'm Marcus. 508-996-0500. <sighs> good show. Great show, guys. Uh, keep it coming. Still taking your calls. Um, there is one thing... I did want to talk to you about, um, or there's there's one thing I wanted to mention actually before I um, before the show ends. I don't know if you saw the news. You know, I was talking a lot about about the uh, Boston Celtics legend Bill Russell. Uh, you know, a couple a week or two ago when his they announced that he, he had passed, they talked about his you know his legacy in civil rights. He was really the first black superstar in the NBA. The um, first before him it was George Mikan. He was the first black head coach in all of professional sports. Um, he once uh, organized a. Uh, um, he once uh, canceled an ex- uh, canceled a game because his teammates were denied service at a lunch uh, at a diner in Kentucky. Um, he was at the um, he was at the Cleveland summit for Muhammad Ali, standing in solidarity with him after um, after uh, after um, he decided not to uh, he. You know, had a conscientious objection to the uh, to the Vietnam draft. Um, you know, as as accomplished as he was on the court, off the court, he was equally as accomplished. He got the Presidential Medal of Freedom uh, from President Obama for his work in civil rights as well. He endured a great deal of uh, actually racial discrimination himself, um, having his home vandalized in Reading and uh, getting called all kinds of names. He actually didn't even go to his Jersey uh, Jersey retirement in 72 because of his relationship with the city. They actually had a re-retirement ceremony in 98. Um, after uh, afterwards, uh, where he actually showed up at the uh, at 
what was at the time the Fleet Center. So, um, you know, he's very accomplished in very much a Jackie Robinson type figure, as I had said, in basketball. And the NBA recognizing this has decided to um, has decided to the NBA recognize, recognizing this has uh, decided to retire his number universally throughout the league. Just like Jackie Robinson's uh, number 42 has been retired in baseball, uh, Bill Russell's number, number six, is going to be universally retired in basketball. So, and the way that works is, you know, everybody's like, well, LeBron's number six. LeBron's going to be able to wear his jersey uh, until LeBron retires or gives the number up. Uh, That was much like Mariano Rivera, the pitcher for the Yankees, the famous closer for the Yankees Hall of Famer. Um, World Series champion. He um, he also uh, he also had the number forty two. He had no, he had the number forty two when they retired Jackie Robinson's number throughout the uh, MLB, and he became the last person to wear the number forty two. So I guess LeBron will be similar with Bill Russell. So they're recognizing Bill Russell's contribution. Uh, you know, not just to basketball. I mean, really helping popularize the sport, right? Um, with the Celtics dynasty in the 60s, but also his accomplishment with civil rights. So I think that's pretty cool. Um, again, you know, I've talked about Bill Russell as a as a player and how I think he's, you know, when you're ranking him all time, uh, I think he's overrated. I don't think he's the best Celtic. I think that's Larry Bird. I think it's very clearly Larry Bird, but that doesn't change the fact that Russell himself was a great player. The NBA wouldn't be where it is today without him, not just his abilities and his dominance, but his activism. Uh, and it is cool to see that commemorated. Uh, it, it is cool to see that commemorated with retiring his jersey number um, throughout the uh, throughout the league. So. Um, 508-996-0500. One more break for the hour, and then we'll be right back. Hey, welcome back to South Coast Tonight. Um, I've been Marcus. Uh, Chris uh, It was off for the night, but he'll be back tomorrow, and I'll be back tomorrow. And we've got a great show ahead for you. I actually had a lot of fun tonight as well talking with you guys, talking with uh, Shannon Liss Reardon, a candidate for attorney general. Go check her out. Uh, and you can listen to the podcast after. It'll be out later um, if uh, you missed any of it. Fun show. Uh, we'll be ta- We'll be down. It'll be even funner show because Chris will be back tomorrow. And we'll have Chris Hendricks, uh, state rep and lawyer, UMass Law 2014 grad like myself, and uh, also a member of the um, House Judiciary Committee in um, in the State House. So he's going to talk about the dangerousness bill uh, that's been talked about in the DA's race and all that, and talk about some other things too. So looking forward to that. I'll see you guys tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for calling in, and we'll do it all over again tomorrow on Friday night. So see you then. Yeah.